Hard push. Don't know how you cut your hair. Don't know how, but you did it. You made a way. Good morning, Beacon. I'm so glad to see you. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers and our women in the house this morning. Give yourself a hand clap of praise. So glad to see you. I'm really honored to be in this church this morning and, and so grateful that so many of you braved this, um, this Seattle-esque weather over the last week. So, so blessed to see you. Uh, a couple things I want to share with you and then we'll, we'll dive into our service uh, today. I want to encourage you real quick. One of the things that we do in this church is um, we live in the gap. We live in the tension. There is, um, there is a common way to do ministry in, in the North American church, and that is to sort of pick a paradigm and operate all things through it. And what I mean by that is, is that mo most churches will sort of decide if they will be a truth church. We're, we're going to be heavy on the word and heavy on the doctrine, and the worship will be there, but we're not really focused on that. It's all teaching and word and knowledge and book and teaching and knowledge. And then there's a, another side of, of the Christian faith that is, um, well, we're going to be spirit. We're going to be Holy Spirit, we're going to be speaking in tongues, we're going to be praising and, and jumping and twirling and healing and laying people out, and it's going to be fantastical and scary all at the same time. And the Bible will also be there, but we're going to focus on spirit, spirit, spirit. And most people fall somewhere along the spectrum. And, and we as a church have always believed that we belong in the tension, right in the middle. Because as I read the text, the text is always in the tension. You see, sound doctrine is vital to the life of every Christian. And we will teach sound doctrine, including the parts that are difficult. But the undeniable power of the Holy Spirit will also never be neglected in this house. Amen. So when the enemy comes in, we will praise until the enemy flees. When, when healing is needed, we will lay hands on until healing is achieved, Tony. When correction is necessary, we will go to the word and live it out. Amen. And hold each other accountable. And we will live in the tension because that's where all of the glory is. Amen. So you said, I wasn't ready for that worship. Don't worry. You ain't ready for this word either. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we will do both because our God is good on both ends of the spectrum. And we won't miss out on all, any of it. Amen. I mean, I just want to set the stage real quick because if you're new here and you're wondering what in the world, I wanted you to know. Now, let me share you one little piece about our, our culture here. Then I'm going to give you a couple announcements. We'll have a time of generosity. We'll jump into the Word. At this church, new church, three and a half years old right here, a very difficult part of the world to plant a church, we have to be very deliberate about the culture in which we build. Culture is not something that just happens. Uh, culture has to happen on purpose. And as a new church, and a church that's blissfully multi-generational and multicultural, we, we have to be very diligent in the way in which we create an environment that the Lord can do what he wants to do. And so over the last few weeks, I've been sharing some of our seven cultural distinctives. These are characteristics of who we are as a family and as a, as a community that we believe God has uniquely made us to be. And today I want to share another one of those with you. It comes from Psalm 121. And it reads like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord 
who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Consistency and reliability is the nature of our God. If you've ever met anybody who's walked long enough with the Lord, one thing they'll always say is he's faithful. Even when we are unfaithful. He's steadfast even when we're flaky. Amen. He can be counted on even when I forget to show up. And in this church, as his children, we want to be the same. And so one of the cultural distinctives at this church is that we aim to be just like our father, reliable. When he says a thing, it comes to pass. And we want to be just like that. I want to be amongst people for whom their word and their deed always align. Amen? We want to create a culture of a church where people are free to tell you the truth. And sometimes it will mean I'm not coming today because I'm tired. Amen? That's good. I can count on that. But what we can't count on is I'll be right there and you haven't left the house yet. You know what I'm talking about. Unreliable. What we're trying to build here is a community that looks like God. He's steadfast. He's faithful. He's consistent. He's reliable. And we want to be just like that. Amen? We want to have a community where we can rely on each other so that we can say to one another, hey, you can count on me. Today, you can count on me. If I make a promise, you can count on that. When I'm here, I'm here. When I'm with you, I'm with you. And if you need me, you can count on me. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a couple announcements real quick uh, just to kind of let you know all of the wonderful things that God is doing here in our house. Somebody say next Sunday. Say it like you mean it. Say next Sunday. Next Sunday is our spring baptisms. Amen? I'm super, super excited. If you've never been baptized on Colfax, this is your chance. Uh, We will be doing spring baptisms right after service on Sunday. We'll have our giant baptismal right out on the street. And um, rain or shine, it's going to be cannonballs for Jesus all morning. And I'm super excited. If you've never been baptized but come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, put your whole heart and your trust into him, and you know that he's calling on you to make a public declaration of an inward faith, this is it. Baptism is a sacred rite and a call for every one of us to go down one way and come up brand new. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized yet, to sign up for baptism. You can do it in the app today. And if you've been baptized, but God's been doing something new in you, I want to encourage you. Don't think you have to be baptized once. I've been baptized every time I hear a good word. I'm like, where's the tank? Let's go. I want to encourage you, if the Lord's doing something new to register to be baptized, uh, we're going to close baptism on Wednesday of this week, the registration, so I'll be reaching out to everybody. So far, I think we have 12 or 13 people signed up, and so we'll be opening the door for spontaneous baptisms as well. If you come and the Lord moves, we'll, we'll do that as well. Amen? Amen. And just a reminder, as I said, we have an app. It's the best way for you to get connected to everything that we're doing at our church. Uh, the best way to get the app is to just text the word beacon to the number 97,000. And um, 
you'll get a link. You can download the app. It's got everything to listen to sermons. You can, you can give an offering. You can submit a prayer request right here, right now in the middle of service. You can even schedule a time to meet with me, join a group. Anything that you need in this church, we do it through the app. Super simple and an easy way to do it. Can you say amen? Amen. Help me thank God for an opportunity to be generous this morning in the house. I want to share with you just a quick thought uh, in our time for our offering this morning from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. It's not traditionally a giving passage, but I like that it's a picture of a giving God. Ezekiel 36 and 26 God promises us through the oracle of Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the new covenant, the promise that comes with being someone who's made new in Jesus Christ. Is that we're not the same old me trying to live out a new way of living. We're made brand new. He takes the old and removes it and then gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a tender, gentle, and loving heart. And a tender heart is meant so that we would follow after him and have the ability to do so. He says, I give it to you so you can trust me, so you can love me, so you can live like I've called you to live. That you be, be careful to obey my statutes. It's this beautiful picture that God sets a high standard and says, then I will make it possible for you to achieve it. And I share it today in our time of offering because I know that many of us struggle with being generous in our tithe and our offering. It's one of the least things to change, the very last things to transform in the life of every believer is our relationship to money. And many of us, we're willing to have a soft heart, an obedient heart on so many things. But when it comes to the tithe and to the offering, we operate with the old heart, a hard heart, a skeptical, mean-spirited heart. And the Lord says, that's not the heart I put inside of you. And so today I want to encourage you to be mindful that the Lord has already made a way for you to be obedient in your, in your giving, to be generous, to look just like him. Amen? If you're giving today, there should be several ways you can give on the screen. And you can buy check or cash. You can deposit in the offering bucket on the way out today. Let me pray over your giving real quick today. Heavenly Father, we love you. I thank you for the opportunity to join you. When we give, we don't direct. We join. We follow. We obey. And God, as we give today, I ask that you would multiply our gift, that as it leaves our hand, it never leaves our life, that you'd multiply it far beyond what we can do with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have your Bible say yeah? yeah? If you have a paper Bible, say heaven bound, heaven bound. If you, have your, if you have your Bibles with you or a paper Bible, would you do me a favor and open it up to the book of Proverbs? We're going to jump away from our study in Galatians. We've been walking through the book of Galatians for 16 weeks, and the last three weeks we've been stuck on a one-week message that the Lord will not let us leave, and it's awesome. I'm having, I hope you're enjoying it. I don't know. I'm loving it. Um, God's really been doing something mighty amongst us, and, 
And I was actually excited, excited to continue the message, but the Lord uh, laid it on my heart to, to do something new this Sunday, uh, share something uh, fresh, a fresh word for our house. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Proverbs 31. We're going to read a, a passage of Scripture that some would argue is the most popular passage of Scripture. It's Proverbs 31. I'm just going to focus on the last two verses, verse 30 and 31. We will go back and, and pull from much of the, the chapter itself. For Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The title of our message today is The Fearful Woman. The Fearful Woman. Or I, I might just cancel it out and write The Fierceful Woman. The message today is for all the ladies in the place with style and grace. This message today is for all of my mothers, all of my sisters, all of my daughters, all the women who walked in with all regality and glory, all the women who've been dealing with all of us men who still trust in the Lord and still allow us to be a part of the conversation. Don't raise your hand, girl. Come on now. This message is for all of the women here today who could use a good old-fashioned reminder of just how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for this word. And thank you for this time. Everyone who needs to be here is here. God, help me to to preach with doctrinal truth and Pentecostal power, that in this room, yokes would be broken, hearts would be changed, and lives would be called closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, maybe you've heard the story of, of the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, there's entire ministries written around the Proverbs 31 woman. It is a picture of God's ideal for women. And if you really study it, it's a very high bar. I don't know how many women are both homemaker and landowner and expert baker and builder of things and lover of children and assistant to man and leader in community. I don't know anybody who lives like that. I did see a hand. She was like, nailed it. Don't you worry. <laughs> you need me to come up and preach this? Let me know. The bar is set quite high in this text, and it's a picture of God's standard. But I want us to spend a little bit of time focusing clearly on why this standard exists and then really get to the marrow, the underlying teaching of all of it. Because I think that you'll see that while the standard is high, much like the new covenant that we've been talking about, the standard is unachievable lest we be the kind of people who trust in the one who sets the standard. Amen? And so I'm going to teach for just a minute, and then I'm going to shout, and then, you know, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. I'm just going to not get in the way. Here's what I want you to understand right now. The Proverbs 31 woman comes from the mouth of a woman. Amen. Hear me, because I don't want you to get confused about who wrote this. The Bible tells us that the book of Proverbs is written by wise men. Most people believe that the entire book of the Proverbs was written by King Solomon. But a closer study and examination of most of the languages used throughout the book of Proverbs tells us that while King Solomon wrote most of them, he did not write all of them. 
And in fact, we find that towards the end of the book, here in Proverbs 30 and 31, these Proverbs are attributed to other people. Specifically, Proverbs 31 is attributed to someone named Lemuel. Jewish tradition would hold that this is actually still Solomon. The argument is that this is a name for Solomon. But a closer examination would help us to understand that this Lemuel is someone unique. It is not actually King Solomon. And that does not negate the truth or the power of this teaching. It actually helps to build a little bit of a stronger case to understand that all of the wisdom that's derived from this book is not only informed by but pulled from the wealth of the wisdom of the world filtered through the lens of God, and then handed over to God's people. Does that make sense for y'all? It's not just the ideas of one man who was king, and everybody was like, well, he said it. We better just write it down and get out of the way. No, most of the Proverbs are understood to be pulled from ancient Near East or Semitic traditions. In fact, many scholars of the Bible will look through not only these Proverbs, but many of the prayers found in the Psalms and even the teachings found around the, t- around the time of Joshua and the judges, and they found parallels in not only the Chaldean cultures, but also the Assyrian cultures. And critics of the Bible will tell you that it was copied, but most clear examination of the... Are y'all good if I'm just teaching for just a minute? Most clear examination of the text helps us to understand that the ideas presented in the Bible were also were parallel to the ideas presented in other ancient Near East civilizations, but not stolen. In fact, the inverse is true. What God had begun to do through his people, the chosen people, those called Hebrews, pulled from the loins of Abraham, were so remarkable amongst other ancient Near East civilizations and Semitic language speakers that these other traditions began to see it and then facsimile their own narrations and their own stories to say, we too have a story of the flood. We too have a story of the Red Sea. We too have this. And ain't that just like the devil to Take our stuff and twist it. Amen? I tell you all this as a background to understand some more about the Bible. The idea is this. This is God's word. Inspired by God's spirit. Spoken through men and women. To his children. It is authoritative. Inerrant in its original translation. Often imitated but never duplicated. This is our love letter from our king. Amen? Does that help? And this part of the letter, attributed to a man named Lemuel, and written from his pen after he heard the voice of his mother. And as I said, some people thought it was Solomon, but the original translation uses uses the term Barbitney. In verse 2, it says, what are you doing, my son, Barbitney? This means the son of my loins. And then the next verse, it says, what are you doing, Barnadari, the son of my vows? These bars, they mean son, but not in Hebrew. They mean son in Chaldean. And so we understand that, that this conversation is originated as an oral tradition, spoken in the original language that Abraham and his people would have been speaking. Y'all with me for a second? And so this language wasn't Solomon, but this language wasn't spoken by Solomon, but this language was spoken by Solomon's descendants from many years back. Y'all with me? 
So this is a mother speaking to a son in the mother tongue of the language that Abraham's people spoke when he was called out of the air of Chaldees. This, though it's the last proverb, may have been one of the first ever spoken. And what's important about that for us to understand is that this was a spoken word from a mother to a son to say, when you go looking for a woman, make sure she looks like this. Which is important to know because it was spoken to a son before the language of God's sons changed from Chaldean to Hebrew. Y'all with me? From Chaldean to Aramaic. It was, an air, it was an ancient Semitic language, but it was one of the first languages. So this teaching on what a good woman looks like ain't nothing new. It didn't come after they came to the promised land. It didn't come after they became kings. It came long before he even called them. If I can just teach for a second, let me say this. Before God called a man to lead, he said, first things first, get you a good woman to help you lead. Amen. The Bible is full of stories about patriarchs, but this one says, get you a good matriarch. Amen. And I mean to tell this to all the fellas in the room. You think you're called to lead? <laughs> Woo, it's heavy. Um, you need a good woman in your corner. See, and I need a bigger shout from all the ladies in the room. Amen. Fellas, please hear me. You cannot lead effectively compassionately, insightfully, thoughtfully, lest the Lord yoke you back with your one flesh rib. Y'all with me? You said, hold on, hold on. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I can do really well in business and I'm single. That's cool. That's business. I'm talking about leadership in the kingdom. You cannot lead people to a God standard unless you are living out a God standard. Amen. And so every time you read about a story of one of the leaders in the Bible, one of the patriarchs, you always hear the story about him and her. Amen. Read your story about Abraham. It's always paired with Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah's got the juice. I'm not going to lie to you. She deals with some stuff. Amen. She deals with some stuff. And then there's Isaac, and he's got Rebecca, and she's dealing with some stuff. And then there's Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Well, Leah and Rachel. He's so much man to handle it took. No, all right, look, here's the deal. The teaching is this. When God calls a man, he doesn't call a man solo. He calls a man one flesh. See, you don't, you don't believe me, but I'm going to show you something. This isn't in the notes, but we're just going to do it because God's good and the Bible's awesome. Chapter 2. And the rib, let's do this one. So, chapter 2, 21, Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, that's Adam. And while he slept, the Lord took one of his ribs and closed up the place in his flesh. And that rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall again become one flesh. Man is not complete in the calling God calls him to until he's one flesh. Now, that doesn't mean he's not saved. Amen. Doesn't mean he's not redeemed. Doesn't mean he's not restored. Doesn't mean he's not transformed. But when God calls a man to fulfill a purpose, he calls us in community in one flesh. Y'all with me? 
Is that, that set the stage for you guys? We get it? Okay, important to do this because I want to make sure that you know I'm not just reading Proverbs 31 and like, she's pretty and she's nice and a fearful woman. This is why this passage of scripture matters so much. Because it doesn't just matter in the definition of women to women. It matters in the definition of women to all of us. And so the Bible says, as Lemuel's mother calls to her son, he cherishes her words and writes them down. And she says, an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels. And then she goes on this wonderful list of characteristics and actions that set apart a woman from the world. And that is truly the reason for the text. It says, this is womanhood. But this is God's woman. And you have to understand that there is a difference. The world is allowed to be the world. Amen? It can live any way it wants. But God's people are set apart. The ecclesiastes, the called out ones. We are uniquely, remarkably made to be different. And this is a picture of what the woman looks like. Y'all with me? All right, so I'm going to just show you something real quick. Rather than go through the, the, the whole text, I want to just kind of set a, a little bit of a stage for you. The Bible tells us that the Proverbs 31 woman is trustworthy and faithful. Amen. She is worthy of being trusted and she trusts the people in her life. Amen. And that's hard because a lot of women are like, <laughs> but, but see, you don't know who I've just dated. Amen. Except that the Lord says, I know who you just dated. And I still call you to be trustworthy and trusting. He says, the Proverbs 31 woman, the woman that God calls to a higher standard is industrious and resourceful. I like to think of this as a woman who is solution-oriented. Amen. Ask anybody who's worth any of their salt no obstacle gets in their way. You ever meet somebody who just continues to seem like they're moving forward and growing? That's because they're always thinking not about the problem and not about letting it stop them, but always about how can we find a solution for this? God starts that solution thinking, hate to break it to you, fellas, with women. Did you know that? Most men are like, there's a hole in the road. We're done. <laughs> and women are like, uh, why don't we drive around it? Don't give me directions, right? <laughs> Women are uniquely made to think not just linearly, amen? Women, the science has shown us, use both sides of their brain <laughs> far more than men. We literally need like a 45-minute break before we transition from one side of the lobe to the other. And women are bouncing back and forth. The neuropathways in women's brains eclipse men's by, by millions of connections. Did you know that? Both sides of their brain are talking at all times, which means that when presented with an obstacle, they already see the solution. And God says, a Proverbs 31 woman is one who's... Solution thinking, industrious, resourceful. Everything that's at her disposal, she's already putting into movement. And just like the king himself, the Bible teaches us that she's consistent and compassionate. She's not just moving forward, but she's gathering people to walk alongside her. I hope you don't mind if I just kind of talk to you about what a woman really looks like who's been grabbed by God and set apart by God. And if you're in this room and you feel like that's you, you can just raise your hand and say, I got that. And if you're a woman in this room and you're like, I don't have all that, there's a thing that we like to do in church is just, just, you just reach up and grab it. So if I say she's full of compassion, you're like, 
I'm going to need that one. Yeah, you just, you just reach up and grab that one. Amen. We do this kind of metaphorically in the spirit. As I'm teaching you, I want this to sit with you and say, yes, that's me. No, I need more of that. This is what teaching the Bible is all about. So that we can see and understand God's standards and then go after it. Amen. She's consistent and compassionate. She's strong and she's shrewd. This is a woman who is set in her values but not in her ways. She knows when she needs to make adjustments, but there are some non-negotiables upon which there will be no more compromise. Amen. The Proverbs 31 woman is generous and glorious. She is not only caring for those in need, but when she needs to stand on her own feet, the glory of the Lord ruminates, emanates, and pulses off of her. Proverbs 31 woman is regal and refined. Let me say this to you. When God truly gets a woman's heart, the spirit of dignity takes place. It begins to transform, ready, her language, her thought, her action, and what she will tolerate from others in her life. You with me? My wife is a, I'm going to just brag on you, is the definition of this. She does not like your loud music, even if she doesn't know you. We'll be at a stoplight, and she's like, ugh. she rolled that window up. She does not tolerate things that do not glorify God. She does not allow foul language in our house or R-rated movies, and I love mob movies, and so I have to find out, hey, when are you coming home? Three hours. <laughs> I got time for Goodfellas. You know what I mean? Like I got just a little window because my wife is not in the business of allowing things that do not glorify God to be in her presence. Y'all with me? It matters to her how we live and how we move. And I don't know if you've ever met a man who's been married to a woman who loves the Lord, but they'll often say, the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds remarkably like my wife. That's because once the Lord has a woman, she is regal, walking like a queen, setting the standard, and she is refined. No mess in this house. Amen. Yeah, you can... You can thank God for that. <laughs> Proverbs 31, woman is wise. Not just smart, but she has an understanding about how to apply the teachings of the Lord to her life and her relationships. She's also well put together. She knows that in certain circumstances, you got to act a certain way. You got to show up a certain way. Amen? You do not show up to a job interview in sweats that say juicy. And she knows this. I don't even have to tell you where juicy is written. Every one of you knew exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. The Proverbs 31, lastly, is this. She is driven. She is driven. And she is to be desired. And the reason these two exist together is it's important to understand that a powerful woman a driven woman can often be an intimidating woman to a man who is not powerful nor driven. Amen? It, that's the slow clap because you're like, that explains it. 
When a woman knows what she wants and what she's going after, when God's got her heart and she says, I don't take no mess, I'm not messing around with any of this foolishness, and she starts to set the right boundaries that say, if you want to be in my world, you better look and act like this, then all of the bums are like, she's rude, she's mean, she's nasty. And a lot of times, because there's a lot of bums, women will think they need to compromise how they live. I hear it all the time, well, what if he's the best I can get? And I want to tell you this today. If you've ever said this, hear me. He's not the best you can get. Trust me, baby. When God has called you to him, he will send you a him that he's called to him as well. Amen. In fact, let me say it like this. Ladies, when God's got your heart and you, you go after him, you want all those bums to be intimidated. The sooner, the better. Amen? Don't waste another second. Be like, well, he's almost good. Not almost good. Side note, this ain't in the notes. Ladies, if you meet a man and he tells you, I could do this forever. I love this part. <laughs> Ladies, if you meet a man, ready? And he says these words, you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> turn, the, turn my level down on my microphone just a little bit. Do you know why? Because what he's actually saying to you is this. I'm not a good man. Amen? You should not be the one calling him to the Lord. Amen? He should be running after the Lord. The Proverbs 31 woman is driven, driving, chasing after God. And to be desired by the right Men chasing after God. Say it like this. Men who are confident in who they are and who God's called them to be see that woman and they're like, hey, hold up. I'm not talking to any of you all for a minute. Look, what is this? When you see a woman pray, praise, worship, know her word, stand her ground, know her worth, and tell it like it is, a God-fearing man, a man like David, a man after God's own heart is like, sign me up. Amen. But too many of us have seen too few of us in the interpersonal relationship situation. We got, we are convicted and saved and we're chasing after God. And then we look around the dating pool. And you come to church and you're like, so I'm, I think I have to get off of Bumble. I don't know. And one of your friends says, have you tried Christian Mingle? There ain't a Christian in that Mingle. Amen? And there ain't one. It's the same dude in the same profile. He's on the, never mind. We look around after God's got us. And we say, it is not good that I should be alone. Is there a suitable mate? And we find close approximations. Ladies, you meet a man, and on the first date, he sends his representative. And he's like, really good. He held the door. He bought dinner. He asked you a question about yourself. <laughs> and you're like, well, I may have found him. 
And then two or three dates later, his representative is off duty that night, and then he showed up to the date, and you're like, no, no, that's not. But the problem is, is that because it's so close, so many of us, are like, well, maybe this is as good as it gets. Moms, I hope you hear me preaching to your daughters today. I know it's the same echo y'all been saying. Don't you, don't you settle for him. But we settle, don't we? Because it's close. And here's the unique curse on femininity. Is that the world will tell you, settle. Compromise. He's good enough. Or we'll celebrate this bizarre thinking that says, I can work with those raw materials. How many of you ever, ladies, you met a man and he's got a few good parts. And you're like, I can build this. <laughs> Except for that it was the Lord who blew life into the man. Women oftentimes spend most of their relationships thinking, how can I make him change? Amen. And men oftentimes spend most of their relationships thinking, how can I never change? <laughs> Y'all with me? We're having fun today. The Bible says she's driven and to be desired. But above all this, the Bible says all those characteristics are wonderful. And they're important. But if she doesn't have a relationship with God, then these characteristics will never come to fruition in her. Now, before we go any further, I just want to talk about identity for just a second. Because you, maybe you're here and you're like, for real, I'm at a church and a man is telling me what it's like to be a woman? Is that a cool thought? You came to church today and you're like, he, that, that guy, that guy's going to tell me how to be a woman. The world will tell you that men don't get to tell women what it's like to be a woman. And, and I would, fair to say, many of us are not qualified for that. The good part is that none of this is my concepts or my ideas. I didn't come up here today and say, you know what I think a good wife is? That would be foolish, foolhardy, and absolutely wrong of me to instruct our church that direction. It is true that men should not be telling women who they should be. Amen. The world would tell you that only women get to decide who they are. But that's also wrong. In fact, the world gets it all the way wrong and says everyone gets to decide whoever they are, whenever they want to be, however they want to be. Amen. The teaching of the world is this. You can say or do or be anything that you want. Today, you want to be this or that? Go for it. Live out your truth. Be whatever you want to be today. Feel that way. If God said you were this, you can be. That doesn't matter except that God is the one who defines identity. Ready? So when God said that you were a woman, then you are a woman. I'm not going to get weird. Don't worry. When God said you were a man, you are a man. In the same way that he said when you are mine, you're mine. When you're free, you're free. Redeemed. Redeemed. How about this one? Loved. You see, we have to believe, to trust, and to know that God is the decider, decision maker of identity on biological things. 
Why? So we can live, so we can win a political argument? No, of course not. We have to trust God's decision on biological things, on natural things, so we have the ground to stand on, on his decisions on supernatural things. You see, if you're willing to negate God's understanding about gender and or identity, and then I tell you you can be set free and saved from your addiction, your loss, your fear, and your sin, how would you ever agree with me? Because you already negate him on the most simple of teachings, that he's creator and he made all things. Amen? That's why that conversation matters. Not so you can hurt feelings or use the pronouns that you want and refuse to say people's names. It's because when God speaks a thing, it's true. And so when he says, man, man, woman, woman, saved, saved. Amen? That's why identity matters. Because I want him to call me saved. I want him to say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want him to be the one who decides who I am. Fair? Let me push you in just this last part. The final two verses of this chapter, verse 30 and 31. The fearful woman. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Those are pretty strong words, actually, about two things that seem at worst benign, at best good. It says, charm or charisma is deceiving. What a strange way to talk about a woman who grabs your attention. What, what a strange way to to describe the characteristic of someone who owns the room when she walks in. You see, charm is one of the most powerful things that we engage with in social settings. Amen? Here's how you know. Go into your next party and find out who's in the center of the circle of people. That person is operating oftentimes in the gift of charm or charisma. Amen? And they're not always the most beautiful. Did you know that? I mean, there, there are numerous famous and successful people who are not beautiful. Amen. And yet they still can hold a room. And the Bible says that that charm is deceiving. Because it's trying to paint the picture to say, if you, ladies, will be identifying yourself about the ways in which you're able to polish your conversation and your engagement, if the way that you primarily define yourself is how you carry yourself, how you walk into the room, how you can use the language of your mouth and the words that you speak, the tone and tenor of your interaction and maybe even the flirty touch or the tussle of the hair to gather attention and sway sentiment in your way, the Bible tells us that that is leading to deception because he's asking you not to define yourselves on fleeting natural things like the polish of character. Y'all with me? It's a, a subtle nuance, but important to understand. Because then he goes on and he says, and beauty is vain. Ugh, that's tough. 
He does not say, the Bible doesn't say, beauty has the potential when used for wrong purposes to lead towards vainglory. That's not what it says. It says beauty in and of itself is vain. And the teaching for women is this. If the way you define yourself is by the flow of your hair and the structure of your face and the curve of your body and the way you saunter into the room, I hate to break it to you, but give it 15 years. Because that saunter is going to be more like a shuffle. The teaching is the same. When we define ourselves by fleeting things, we become desperate to grasp on to fleeting things. We will hold to standards of beauty that are, let's be honest, objectively impossible anyway, and hold on to them for dear life because if I'm not beautiful, what am I? If I'm not charming, what am I? If I'm not seen a certain way, then what am I? The Bible is trying to teach us, please be mindful of the way that you personify yourself, that it's not based on what the world says is beautiful or lovely or charming. It says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And this is the whole crux of the teaching. The word for fear is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It means to be reverent of and towards a standard that is higher than oneself. And the Bible is telling us in this moment, the one who God calls a great woman has all of these characteristics that set her aside. And many are natural, and many are tangible, and they're wonderful, and they're helpful, and they're nothing. If that woman does not see herself first in her relationship to God. Amen. Because you can be successful. Amen. And empty. Amen. You can be beautiful and broken. You can be charming and trapped in a cycle of self-loathing over and over again. And God says the only way to break out of that is to put all of your trust and your identity in the relationship between me and you. And so, ladies, my final part of this conversation today is this. God is looking for women who are worshipful and obedient. Women who are willing to worship God in spirit and in truth, no matter where they go, no matter who it offends, no matter how people like it or don't like it. That's the kind of worship you do in the car with the windows down at the stoplight and someone looks at you and you're like, I'm singing oceans at the top of my lung today. It's also the same kind of worship that when you're in the middle of a fight with someone you love, you say, we need a moment to just seek the Lord right here, right now. The Bible is talking about someone who's reverent to God, not familiar. You see, reverence is not, I know of Jesus, but I know Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't wait to go to church and encounter the Holy Spirit. No, it's, I know the Holy Spirit because he lives and moves in me, and that's how I have my being. A, a, a fearful woman is a woman who is defined by the presence of God. When she walks in, it's almost like there is a glow. People that don't know Jesus, they say things like, you got a good energy. And she says, it's called Jesus. 
Amen. I don't make no bones. It's not an aura. It's not a vibe. <laughs> it's Jesus. And he has my whole heart. He says, a woman who is fearful, is worshipful and obedient, she's committed to the things of the Lord and submitted to the teachings of the Lord, which means that when the word comes forth and it convicts her, she changes. Amen. This is about being teachable and removing stubborn spirits from your life. So if you're here and I read scripture and you hate it, you don't hate me. Amen. You don't hate the church. Amen. You don't hate the Bible. just love your own way a little too much right now. And he says it's time to change. Committed and submitted, fearful, yareh, reverent. Last one, a, a woman who loves the Lord, who's fearful of the Lord, has vision and she's on mission. This is every woman who's looked around her house. And the man with whom she settled. Or every woman who's finally realized she's been at this job for way too long. This is every woman who's finally taken inventory of her friendships and recognized, I am not growing with you. This is every woman who's finally set a boundary with their children and said, I will never stop praying for you, but I will not allow you to take advantage of me anymore. This is for every woman who's ever finally drawn a line in the sand and said, this is what it looks like to love me. You can take it or leave it, but I got enough Jesus in me that I'm always loved because goodness and mercy is with me. This is for every woman who says, enough is enough. I am going after Jesus. Amen. And you're here today and you said, that's me. That's me. And I have dumped a few losers in my time. <laughs> that's me. I was at that job for 26 years and they never promoted me past that level. That's me. I realized I was in a group of friends. None of them loved Jesus. I was the only one speaking truth. I was the only one encouraging. I was the only one doing the right thing. And every time I was around them, I was compromising myself. My language changed. My thought changed. I was a different woman. This is what it's like to live in a world that is unlike you. And the call is this. The woman who fears God surpasses them all. And the term fearful woman... I don't mean a woman who lives in fear. I mean, the day has, has come. Prophetically, let me just speak this to this church. The time is now. The city is here. For the women of God to stand up and lead the people of God. I, I say this to you because it's important to understand. As a church, we're a church that believes in male leadership. The Bible is very clear on, on, on eldership and pastors and teaching. We, we believe it. We follow it. And, and that does not negate the power of, of women in this church. We believe that God uniquely creates men and women as in compliments to one another. And yet I want to tell you today, I sense in the spirit that the day has come for the women in this church, church to, to, to take stock of their life 
and ask, where have I compromised? Where am I living in sin? Where am I yoked to things that are unlike Jesus? Where are the parts of my life that don't look like this text? And today is the day for women to walk away from that. Hear me, not to tolerate it. Hear me, to walk away from it. I have to say it one more time. Not to feel convicted at church and go back to live the same way. You are not supposed to love Jesus and allow people who don't love Jesus to compromise you anymore. Ladies, hear me. You will lose people in this journey, but you will never lose Jesus. And he does his best addition by subtraction. The time is now. So you're here today, ladies. You didn't know this was going to happen. I'm speaking right to your situation and your circumstance. An area of compromise about self-worth, about who you are as a woman, about the times in your life where you allowed compromise to take over your convictions. And you feel it in your heart that the Lord has called you to a new season. I want to tell you that is exactly what I sense the Lord is doing for this summer and this year. That our church would have a bunch of women, a group of women, tall and freestanding women who would say, I won't tolerate anything less than God's best for my life. That's you today. I want to encourage you to make a prayer with me today. So every head is bowed and every eye is closed. We can have the band come up. We're going to worship one more time. You're here in this room, ladies. And your life has been marked by compromise. You know Jesus. You love Jesus. And yet you let people who don't love Jesus overcome Jesus in your life. Their words have taken power. They've taken residence in your home and in your hearts. And the Lord says today, out, woman. Out, woman. Out. I have called you higher. That's you today. Every head's bowed. No one's looking. And you feel like the Lord's called you to that, I'm going to ask you to just raise your head. Just give me a look, and I see you. I see you. I see you. Keep your head. I want to, I want to see you. I 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 see you, I see you. For every woman in this room here today who's declared today is the day, I will stand on two feet and declare that God's ways are my ways. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray, I pray a blessing, a blessing of favor on their life, a blessing of power in their hearts, ordained steps before them, I cancel the enemy's assignment of compromise over the life. I, I cancel the enemy's assignment that says their worth is in their body. I cancel the enemy's assignment that says that they are who the men in their life say they are. They are who the employers say they are. They are who their friends say they are. Right now, by the power of the blood that is shed on Calvary, we declare that the women in this room who are standing for virtue, standing for holiness, standing for righteousness, are standing strong. And as a church, in Jesus' name, we would support them. This will never be a church where we compromise women's values. This will never be a church where we say, just a little bit less, just a little bit less. Right now, in Jesus' name, this church will be filled with women who will rise up and hold all of us accountable, for she is to be praised and surpasses them all. In Jesus' name. And all that agreed said amen.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? I want to worship one more time. Help me thank God for every woman today who canceled compromise, who stood for conviction, who said, I'm going to live like Jesus called me to live and nothing less. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.